Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome back Ohio State head coach Nick Myers to the Philacrosophy podcast. Nick, how you doing, man? Outstanding. It's great to be back. Grateful. Yeah, man. You were, you, uh, what, you were one of my very first guests I ever had on this show. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'll tell you what, man, this podcast is really taking off. I, um, I know I speak for others when I tell you, man, it, it's made road trips and recruiting trips and even just work trips, uh, going back and forth from work, a lot more enjoyable. I listen to everyone. Uh, what a library. So if anyone's listening to this for the first time, I don't know how much you're going to get out of this, but I would tell you that listening to these other podcasts uh, and going through coaches' uh, library is, 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 is on, almost a must-have for any lacrosse fan. Awesome. I appreciate that, man. So um, yeah. before we jump on the call, you were telling me about the neighborhood challenge. Uh, and so I, I think this is like absolutely worthy of our conversation here. The listeners need to know what's going on in the Nick Myers neighborhood of Columbus. Yeah. So I live, uh, I live in Arlington. You're familiar. It's, it's a recruiting ground. It's been great to Denver over the years. Uh, certainly we've worked really hard. Um, it's, it's, it's a community that's real close to um, Ohio State, but it's also got a, a rich lacrosse tradition. And part of the reason my wife and I moved here was, was because of that, the proximity and also the, just the community feel. And, and my boys, I have a third grader and a first grader and they were both, we just had had the draft actually a week before for, for teams. I was going to have them both in the same team this year. The first grader is going to play up third and fourth. And I was actually coaching uh, my third year assistant coach with uh, Brett Harper. So Brett Harper, nice. you know, uh, golden bear stud defenseman at Maryland. Yeah. Um, he's the head coach of this, this team. We call him, we're the team howler. Uh, but anyway, so we were just getting ready to fire up the season. Uh, and, you know, again, you know, we, this breaks where we're all kind of taking a, taking a pause. And so the dads of this UALA organization have, have kind of thrown down a challenge to us dads with our boys as of this morning. This just happened about an hour or two ago. I'm John Canaris, founder of Oxia Time, a watch company specializing in university branded watches. Before I fell in love with watches, I fell in love with lacrosse. Maybe you've heard of the air gate. Well, that was me and goal that day. We may not have won the national championship, but we did win the Ivy League that year and two years before. The first time we got a ring that we never wore. The second time we got a watch that while it had great sentimental value, the quality didn't match the significance of our achievements or the memories we created. Ever since then, I've looked for a watch with the design and quality that would live up to my experiences at Penn. After 30 years of looking and not finding what I wanted, I decided to build it myself. At Axia Time, we create Swiss-made automatic watches with stylish designs and quality befitting the universities we represent. Premium watches without the premium price. Check us out at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. And it's 20,000 reps in seven days. And if you're young, if your kid accomplishes it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a Jersey award. So of his choice, my son has picked out a, a, a Niners rookie Jersey. I think he's leaning towards Bosa. We'll see. But, um, so we broke it down into reps of 500. So he's, he's already done a couple of segments. He's got to do 500 reps six times a day. Any rep that hits a bounce back, a backboard, uh, a garage door counts. So they're out there repping it out right now. We'll see if they stick with it. <laughs> that's pretty awesome you you got to do some video man get some video for before and after i will i will i i absolutely will you know i posted one on instagram the other day that got some love uh playing a little uh, yard pig we just had the box out there we actually took our our driveway slowdown sign stuck them in the goal as a, as a target and uh we we're just calling our corners playing a little friendly game of pig uh, we've been doing a lot of sky ball challenges. Uh, they boys love that just to knock out a three, throw a tennis ball as high in the air as I possibly can. And first one to have three drops loses. So they, they could play that honestly all day long, but I'm just trying to think of, uh, kind of come up with new and creative games to the backyard. 
uh, and, and just been having a lot of fun with it. I mean, that's been one of the real blessings of this time and the time together. I've been, um, as you can imagine, coming up with a lot of good backyard activities. So my kids are a little older. I've got, you know, two college age kids, boy and a girl and, uh, and a daughter who's in high school. We've been playing a lot of two on two hoops. Two on two, I love that. me and Lucy against Colin and Emily. You know what we do? We let the girls, they didn't play a lot of basketball. We let them double dribble. Makes the game awesome because they don't get stuck. You know, they can just keep faking. Actually, it's actually an unbelievable environment. You know, you think about lacrosse dodging. I've always said that dodging in lacrosse would be like if there was no double dribble rule and no offensive foul rule in basketball. You know, you can set your feet, you can fake, you can slam, you can step back, you can fake, you can go. Um, and so these girls are actually learning how to do that. It's pretty interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you remember, I, I got a, I got a 2v2 game in your backyard. I don't think I, I came out with this W, um, but it was fun. I actually saw you in the goal yesterday. You, you made some saves. <laughs> My box goalie techniques need big-time work, but I do have full box gear. I get those shoulders going a little bit more than you did. <laughs> I know. I know. I got to stay up. I got to stay up. I'm getting too low. Colin right. was just hammering them far side high on me, no problem. I was like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, because I love blowing it by you up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. But um, uh, it's got to be yeah, nice the, to have the shooting on shooting on a goalie. I mean, you know, shooting on dad, Nick. That's that's one of the things. You know, getting the, the little you know target in there is fine. But um, learning how to uh, beat a goalie, you know, learn how to manipulate a human being, you know, is pretty much what finishing and shooting is all about. Yeah, I, I, I agree that the challenge we have is the younger brother gets padded up a lot. So I end up I end up having to go out there and I, I come out just usually at the, I have the, the ability to time it where I open the door and look out just as Mason is crow hopping into his younger brother in goal. Um, so I, we got to work more on the inside moving versus just flat out steam yeah. with the younger brother in the goal. But um, well, we're, we're getting there. But that's the thing that most people don't understand is that like, OK, I had the great conversation with Darius Kilgore about this. You know, it's like, okay, everybody's a goalie. It's, you don't just have a goalie. Everybody's a goalie. And then, you know, you got to learn how to use deception and touch when you're shooting. You, anybody can blow it by the goalie that's not really a goalie. But if you start using some touch, the inside stuff, the deception, where you sort of feather it by people, it's almost like, you know, it's like playing a good game of three by and scoring a goal as slowly as possible. Yeah. Kind of like putting that lure in the perfect spot like I was yesterday, too, you know. Uh, I got a great fish, and I don't know how much you love to fish, but I love to fish. So, for our listeners out there, we're talking about faking. Um, my man, Tyler Fister, another another UA grad and Buckeye captain, uh, Buckeye legend, honestly. We went up to a fishing pond yesterday, and him and I were having a little casting contest, uh, getting on some bass. But uh, same thing, man. It's like, you got to go for broke. You got to get that thing right in there, a little touch and land that perfect cast if you want to get the bass this time of year. And uh, it got me thinking when you're talking about faking, you know, it's like, you're absolutely right. You know, you get on top of the goal, you get in tight. We use all tennis balls in my driveway. Yeah. Um, occasionally we use the, the rubber balls, but you know, the softer hands and just really working on that, that triple threat position, having it by your ear and just the, the little movements, you know, the little, little action uh that gets that really gets people moving i think is underrated versus the bigger fakes too often you see younger kids especially and then it grows into old habits where the, the fakes are just too massive versus the quick little explosive fakes i, I like to start i like to start there and then, and then work work into more you know growing up it was the big sky whammy or the big overhand like dramatic that kids all want to try and then you end up putting too much bag in your stick and then you can't throw and it leads to other things um, you know, people talk about LeClaire for us, you know, big shooter, you know, kid shoots the ball as hard as anybody. You look at his pocket and he's got one of the smallest pockets on our team. You know, yeah. here's a young man who has just committed himself to his hands and wrists over years and years. And he blows the ball as hard as anybody with, with little to no whip at all. And I, I tell as many people as I can that because I think that's really important um, for guys to hear because you can't. You can't do that overnight, and that, that's something that he's developed over years. And as a result, he can play inside, he can play outside, he can feed. Um, and that's such a, you know, I know you and I both are on the same page, but that's the ultimate, you know, skill set when you can really go in, in and out with your, with your game. No doubt. And, you know, it's, it just puts the value on accuracy and quick release over hold and power. And it is, um, for most players, 
I think that that it, it is uh, it's really it, it's really smart. You're going to end up with more points, you know, by putting the ball on the money than any other way. Yeah, no, I I agree. And you're going to play faster that way too, and you're going to be more fun to play with. No doubt. You know, I think that that's why I love playing basketball with you. I mean, the ball moves quickly. Um, occasionally, you get a little aggressive down the post. You get a little sticky in your hands, but you like that. You know, you like to get down the, the low block and, and back your guy down, uh, work your post up your fakes. But, you know, generally speaking, yeah, yeah when we teach offensive philosophies, you know, it's got to start with being a great passer. You know, I mean, as, as hard as you shoot, we had a couple freshmen this year uh, that came to us, the, the twins, Grant and Connor Mitchell. Uh, out of Calvert Hall. They're actually Georgia products, but they're, they're going to be great Buckeyes. Um, both midfielders, both kind of two-way guys, but, you know, their their skill set had really developed over the course of a year under Coach Sheridan and the, the constant repetition of tennis balls in practice and convincing them that they had to be better passers, you know, as, as good as they dodge and as hard as they shot. You know, the ability to pass the ball and pass it, you know, with efficiency, hard, on a line, consistently, with little to no cradle is where you got to start. And then once that foundation is built, you know, that brings in, then you lead it to the, the levers and the fakes and the, the behind the backs and the, some of those other, you know, uh, nuances. Um, but I just think it's got to start with a foundation. Of can you catch it soft and can you throw the ball hard with little to no movement? And once you have that down, then, then, then the kind of, it takes off. And that, that goes back to the foundation of, you know, young kids growing up in a box and learning that at a young age. That's what I'm really trying to hammer home with my two guys in the driveway is, you know, start by learning it the right way. You know, I think you and I even talked that one time about using a woman, you know, a woman's stick um, when teaching a young man how to catch. You know, like that's a great place to start and just get used to using your wrist, catching it deep uh, so that you don't get those bad habits of having a big, big cradle and pushing the ball when you throw. Yeah, I totally, <clears throat> totally agree with everything you said. And it's, it's very obvious in, when you watch your team play. I mean, I, I have this uh, webinar that I think I sent you one time that I did called Four Coaching Secrets. And one of them was creating a passing culture. And I used a lot of Buckeye film because you guys move the ball so quickly and so effectively with what I know you call singles with no cradle. Um, and, and it is absolutely critical to playing great team lacrosse. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. It means a lot. It takes time. And, you know, I got a great coaching staff. Coach Sheridan's been an amazing addition. You know, him and I share a very similar philosophy um, with what that looks like. And, and I think, you know, I, he's come up with a lot of new and creative drills. You know, I think the guys look forward to that first 20 or 30 minutes every day of practice because it's different. Um, it's skill development. You know, a lot of it, again, a lot of it is with tennis balls. You know, we've, we've talked about that over the years together, why that's so important. Uh, but it's got to start with being able to catch. The, you can't get the ball quickly if you got to catch it in front of your face and then bring it back. If you're snatching at the ball or, you know, you're not a great catcher, um, it's, it's just hard to build off that. So, you know, the first skill is that butt end catch, that ability to catch it deep, catch it loaded, and then being able to fire a tennis ball 12 to 13 yards with some tempo with little to no cradle. Once a young man masters that, you know, I don't know if you watched our Notre Dame game. I go back to our last win. You know, the play of the game for, for me on offensive end was a young man from Ohio, Johnny Wiseman, uh, great athlete, great football player. Uh, he's a sophomore midfielder for us. He goes down the wing alley left-handed, and he's got kind of a, a loud stick. I mean, he's worked really hard at kind of quieting it down. And he has a little pump at X. And then his buddy, who actually went to high school with from Ohio, Griffin Hughes, cuts the pipe, the back pipe, and kind of comes across the front of the cage left-handed. And, and with really no, little to no effort, Wiseman throws a, a little just touch pass right to his helmet, who, and then Griff catches it deep and scores. And there's not a cradle on the play. It's a bang-bang play. And it's, it's a play that you go back to practice, and we've thrown yeah. that ball with tennis balls no doubt. probably five or 600 times. And then in a game, like here's a midfielder who never really had that skill set, who now has the confidence to just pop a ball on a line right at somebody's helmet for a bang-bang goal. And, Man, that was really rewarding to see because it goes back to your skill development and practice. You know what I think is interesting about tennis balls, too? I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, I'm sure you have. But tennis balls are a little bit bigger, um, and they whip less. So, mm -hmm. so when you, you, it's easier to throw a tennis ball hard on the money than it is a lacrosse ball because it, because it doesn't hook on you as much. Um, and uh, for that matter, it may sail a little bit if you had a women's stick, but, you know, you can sort of make that adjustment. But 
what happens, I think, when you use a ton of tennis ball and you do a ton of tennis ball work, kids begin really enjoying being able to fire the ball and the money. And when they go back to a lacrosse ball, it'll throw it a little lower for them. They'll usually tighten their sticks up and make their pocket more conducive to that type of a throw with a lacrosse ball is what I found. Did you notice that? I think so. I think we do so much back and forth that we probably don't let them get too married to, to one or the other. You know, it's usually five to eight minutes of t-ball work, and then you go right back to a lacrosse ball. So I think, you know, we're just generally speaking trying to take as much pocket out of guys' sticks as we can. Yeah. Um, and it's nice when you have examples. Like I said, when you have a tray where you can point to and say, guys, look, at it. I mean, here's a guy that shoots it harder than anybody, and he's got the smallest pocket on the team. You know, Jeff Hendrick, a defenseman, who's got a great ground ball ability, kids magic off the ground, and, he, and he's a great scorer. He's a great, you know, unsettled guy. But again, he doesn't have a big pocket. So these D guys that think they need a bag, it's like, no, you don't. Yeah, you just need to you just need to develop your hands, and so I think we do a lot of the three v two. We do a lot of short sided stuff on a goal. I think it's great for your goalies too. You know, I spend a lot of time working with goalies. You know, when you're developing a goalie and you're trying to build confidence to to just, I'm a big believer in less is more in terms of movements. Um, you know, we're not we don't see goalies flopping around a lot at Ohio State. You see them, you know, being pretty true to their space. Um, you know, working their angles. And when you get tennis balls, you get in tight, and a goalie can get over the fact of like the the ego of giving up goals and just really hone in on angle play and getting in front of the ball and, and making as many stops as possible. I think there's a great reps for your goalie that you really just don't feel comfortable otherwise giving them with a live ball, you know, and they get, you know, you see a kid like Josh make some of those saves. Again, you go back to our last couple of games, you know, he's seen a lot of those reps in practice. Whereas if you don't feel comfortable getting your goalie shots on a live ball, your starter, especially, he just never sees those shots. And then you expect him to make those saves in a game. It's, it's hard to do that. Yeah, no doubt, man. And you don't have to worry about beating them up, you know, and, and being able to shoot live. It's so important for your shooters also. I mean, if you're never shooting on a live goalie, it's funny. You know, um, this guy, Mike Mobison, I did a podcast with him. He's, a, he's, a, uh, uh, he's an investor. He's an adjunct professor at Columbia. He's an analytics guy in his spare time, and he does a lot of lacrosse analytics. And Canadians have shot 34% steadily for the last 10 years in Division I lacrosse. 10 plus years, actually. Americans have shot at 28%. Growing up, what do Canadians do? They shoot on goalies. What do Americans do? They shoot on empty nets. Um, Americans focus more on mechanics. Um, you, don't, you don't hear a whole lot of talk about mechanics in Canada. You talk about angle. You talk about what did the goalie do? And it's like a fluency with that. Um, any thoughts on that? No, I think you nailed it. I think, you know, again, when we do shooting drills in practice, very rarely are they volume shooting drills where we're just shooting on a cage. We'll do that, you know, occasionally, um, you know, just to kind of get more of the heart rate up if we want, or we want to get guys some repetition at just hammering the ball high to low or something like that. But every time you'll see shooting drills, and we do them every day, they're typically designed with a piece of our offense. So there's a, there's a pass involved. And it's, and it's eliminating, it's disciplining their minds. It's not shooting, it's scoring. We want to score. Right. These, are the, these are the shots that we're getting in our offense. Or these are the shots we're getting on man up or in transition. And you're really repetitioning those. You know, so I think that's a key piece of, like, we just don't do a lot of alley shots because we don't take a lot of alley shots, you know. So you're going to be a team that's going to take those low angle wing shots. So you got you to repetition that low angle wing shot. And a lot of people think that that's a low, that's a low percentage shot. Well. If you work on it and you have some deception, as you said, and you have guys that are good, get it good at getting underneath using the dive rule, it can be a really effective shot. And it, and it can put a lot, of, a lot of pressure on a defense in those low angles. Um, once you open up that low angle wing, you know, then you have the rollback to the interior look, the through ball. You know, you can dodge through X, which is sometimes problematic for teams. So anyway, my point being is I think that it really comes back to how you, I think often, I know I was guilty of this as a coach for a long time of just shooting the shoot, designing shooting drills where kids are getting shots and then feeling like, oh, we shot this week. Well, you took 75% of your shots that you don't really even take in a game or, or yeah. aren't necessarily types of shots you want. So we're, we're hammering home. And then, yeah, I think anytime you can put a goalie in there and, and rep the drill with a tennis ball with a live finish versus uh you know, an empty goal, I think that's a win, in, in my opinion. And most of the shots we're taking, again, are, are what I would refer to as like a, a, a seven iron in. You know, they're not the, the long ball. Um, you know, we have a couple guys that can stretch it, you know, on our team that, that work on those stretch shots. And if you're not a stretch shooter, you're not really spending a lot of time on that. Right. 
Well, it's kind of like with another uh, quote from uh, Darius Kilgore. If, if you shoot with, if you shoot, shoot based on accuracy and, and heat, you know, you got to hit a spot that might be the size of like a grapefruit. And if you shoot with deception, you can hit a spot that's the size of a watermelon. And that's the advantage of being deceptive. Yeah. I think there's a lot of value for just getting on cage too. You know, I just think that, you, you know, we spend a lot of time making sure we hit the cage. Um, I think the days when you look at our percentage, you know, just, I know that sounds super simple, but yep. when you look at our shooting percentage over the years and the days that we haven't shot 35% plus, it's not usually a day where the goalie made a ton of saves. It's usually a day we just didn't hit the cage. Um, you know, so I, we, we spent, we, we'll do basketball rules in practice, you know, and, and, and change the possession if we don't hit the cage. I mean, Trey's guilty of that. I'm on him all the time. I mean, that young when he hits the cage, he scores. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. and he'll have days where he's spraying the ball and he's getting robbed. I'm like, Trey, man, look, at that's just unacceptable. I mean, that's just, so he's hitting singles. He's hitting push-ups. He was even to the point where he was taking laps, you know, in practice if he missed the cage to build that discipline of it just has to be quick and on net. And if you, and if you in regardless of where, it, it's 60-40 at that point, 70-30 with him. So certain guys, I think that's a really important piece is not shooting small, like you said, making sure you know your range, know where you are, and then getting it quickly on the hoop uh, with some tempo. Yeah, for sure. And just way too many shots wide. <clears throat> I want to talk about something. Um, when, we, when we're talking about deceptive shooting and we're talking about, like, the ability to control a goalie, such as handcuff a goalie to pull it, you know, lean and get them to dip a little bit to throw it high – how would you take that concept of control and apply it to dodging? And how would you teach control um, when you're dodging, whether it's your man or other players? Because I, I really look at control as a word that really should be looked at um, when we think about playing more so than more so than just running by a guy. It's like, can you control a guy? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, I think what I would say to that is uh, you have to talk a little defense if you're going to talk about, you know, the dodge. And I think that, you know, when you have a system that you believe in, you say, okay, look, here's our system. Here's how we dodge. And here's where we dodge when a team's sliding fast. You know, here's where we dodge. Here's our, you know, if you're just say, for example, you're primarily a high wing team, you know, your high wing dodge or may, may start in a place that's a little bit different if a team's a quick sliding group. Are they a heavy base where they're just forcing you down the middle? Are they squaring you up and giving you kind of the middle and underneath but slow to go? And once you have a sense of what that, what that looks like, it's going to really indicate – it's all like basketball, man. Are they, are they a trap team? Are they forcing you into the corners and trapping you? Are they straight up? Are they doubling the pick? Um, so what we try to do is, is there's only so many variances of defenses you can get, right? I mean, there's a handful. Uh, I just rattled off a few. I think for, for Dodgers, we'll do what we call a, a drill that I think is one of the best drills that we do during the week to teach kids is we do one-on-ones with a slider. So we'll go four or five spots in the field, and we'll put a box in the interior, and we'll have a slider in there, and we'll have a crease guy in there. And the rules are you have to, you have to dodge the score. Um, you have to move the ball adjacently. You can't throw the ball indoors. And then whatever adjacent you throw it to has to jam the ball right to the crease, and the defense has to try to decide whether they want a slider or not. And if they don't go, then you have to sh you shoot it or you get defeated as a dodger. You have about four seconds. If they do go, you got to throw it to the adjacent and get it indoors before that recovery guy can get back to them. And it really creates what you're talking about, the, the understanding of a slow dodge. You know, Trey LeClaire, if he has a short stick on the high wing, he doesn't want to dodge fast. You know, he wants to dodge slow. I remember you and I talking about that back with Jesse and yeah. you helping me kind of teach him some things. He was so good at that slow dodge and that high wing, you know, and really looking through a defense. Um, if you know a defense is coming quick, you want to slow it down. If you know a defense is slow to go, you know, you really want to make sure that first point of contact, you got to be a little bit more physical. Maybe you can show the back of your helmet. You can get into a guy and, and really get some leverage um, or use a hesitation, a bounce, a re-square uh, if you're not a physical guy. So I think it, it, in your mind as a dodger, you have to have a sense of what you're what you're getting, and then once you have, you know what you're getting. Do you have the a wherewithal to just say, "All right, I move my, I need to move this dodge down lower, or I need to move this dodge higher, or I need to tack the top foot a bit more." Uh, and I think that's where we spend a great deal of time. And then you get to picking, right? That's just the dodging piece. Then you add a pick, 
And a pick now becomes an element of, all right, can you change a matchup? Can you create some uncertainty of who the slide person is? And once they don't know who's sliding, then it, then it, it goes back to your dodger of, all right, now you don't have a slide based on us creating some un, un, uncertainty with a pick. And so it, it sounds like a lot. And, and the key is for us as coaches is to get this, this, this checks, checklist, if you will, into the hands, into the heads and, and hearts of our players in a really simple system. If you can keep it simple and they can understand their reads and you rep it time and time again, that's where I feel like we've had the most success versus tinkering constantly with your offensive sets. Makes so much sense. I love that drill. And, you know, it, and it goes right back to being able to get the ball out of your stick quickly because if you can't, you're never going to be able to get the ball to the adjacent and then get it inside. Yeah, I mean, one thing for coaches out there that we've had some some success with is just grading your your pick play and grading your um, your dodging. You know, so that's something I took from my brother. You know, like if you take a if you watch a game, you just put a game film on and you watch an offense and you chart how many doubles did they draw. And let's just say, you know, I think a good game would be anywhere from 20 to 25 doubles. It's going to depend on how a team's dodging, how a defense is sliding. But let's just say a team generates 25 double teams. Right. Then you say of those of those double teams, were they positive, null or negative? And a negative certainly is a, is a double team where you draw it's a turnover. A null would be a double team where you, you draw a double. It's a one for one. You don't turn it over, but you change a matchup in your offense by moving the ball uh, successfully to the backside. And maybe someone else has a short stick or, or a positive double where the ball, the defensive the defender arrives in your gloves. You stretch two and you get the ball quickly. Um, while there's still two in your gloves. I mean, that's, that's gold offensively, honestly. So, you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll grade guys on that, you know. So, like a Lucas Buckley, for example, the kid's on our first midfield line is a senior, total stud, and he's got two goals in the season, six games in. People are like, well, he's in your first midfield line. I say, you're right, he is. He's also set, you know, 30 positive picks, and he's created, you know, anywhere from, from 40 to 50 positive double teams. And, you know, that's where, that's where your hockey assist comes in. And, and then your players start to really understand role definition. It's like, all right, Trey LeClaire doesn't really create a lot of positive double teams. He's on the receiving end of a Lucas Buckley a lot, probably two passes away. And it starts to really create, as a coach, some of your role definition in your offense. If you have some finishers and you have middies that you want to preach that to, um, you know, creating that mindset of creating good offense, you know, being Love off that. the dribble and understanding – and that's a great way for coaches to provide. You can post that after a game and say, bam, here are all the double teams. Here's how many you drew. Here's how many were positive, null, and negative. So cool. You know, I actually stole that from you. And when I was doing a lot of video assessments, I, I did that exact breakdown on the uh, athletes. Uh, but I always credited you. And I learned it from you. So I just want you to know. Footnote. Coach Thanks, <laughs> it's actually my brother. I stole from Pat, so All he right, probably well, stole from somebody else, but I can't take care of that. It's really I steal off my brother. I know he, he was on your podcast earlier. That's, that's like my secret weapon in this thing is, is having someone like you that you can just chat with and, and you love and, and thinks kind of like you but challenges the heck out of you. And, and he's, uh, he's got a little bit more on the analytic side than I am probably. So, you know, um, that's always helped me. I mean, it forces more of an abstract mind to sometimes narrow it down to really give you something that's like, he had the whole idea of doing the same thing with pick play, you know, charting picks, good picks versus bad. And, you know, everyone wants to pick, but when you, well, how do you take pick play from good to great? And it was, it was a similar conversation to him and I had that really um, made a difference. Sorry, I lost. Yeah, cool. Well, and, and, and back to my initial question, which was, you know, about control. And then you okay. come up with the, the drill that you talk about, this one-on-one -on -one plus a crease man in the slider and an outlet. You know, that, that exactly is how you learn how to control. Because if you just simply run as fast as you can, you're either going to just run into a slide that's easy to slide to, and you're going to have a hard time getting that pass off. So you really have to figure out a way to do this and control your own man while you're controlling a slider, while you're bringing them both with you as you all carry the slide in one way, shape, or form. And that's, that's really what control is all about. Yeah, I think so. And I think that this level, you know, it, 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 you know I know it's certainly the high school level, um, but also the Division One level, one of the big challenges and changes you'll feel is, is the short stick defensive midfield position. Um, it's coveted and it's a huge part of, of certainly who we are 
you know, Coach Crane, uh, our defensive coordinator, just did a podcast on, on what it means to be a sled dog. You know, we champion those guys. Those guys are, are the total dudes of Buckeye Lacrosse. And I've been really fortunate to have some great ones over the year here at Ohio State. I've had the privilege of coaching. And, you know, I think what I would just say is this, like when, when you're dodging and you're talking about control, again, it kind of goes back to your, your, your cover. You know, is it a cover corner? Is this guy rolled up on you? and really trying to match feet and get his hands on you. You know, the way you dodge a Terrafanko, I mean, if you dodge left, if you lefty sweep on Terrafanko, good luck. I mean, it's he's so good at that righty hook where yeah. he comes up underneath you and, and bang. I mean, it is, I've seen him take the ball away time and time and time again on guys. So it's like if you want to be physical and sweep Ryan Terrafanko, your, your, your chances of success are slim and none. Um, but if you break your dodge off early, and you get, you know, wide on a guy like that, you're going to have, a, you, you have a better chance of success. So it's, you just have to understand your matchup. And is it, is it a defensive midfield that's really trying to be sticky and be physical? Is it a guy that's trying to match feet and just guide you into a slide? And sometimes that will help dictate the, the type of dodge you want as well. And, and I know I'm probably getting into too many nuances here, but at the end of the day, dodgers are going to dodge differently. And you want players, if it's a, if it's a slick guy, who's kind of a hips and, and shimmy like shuffle kind of set up his dodge guy versus a guy who's a hard split. The bottom line is good change of speed bounce, you know, being able to resquare, you know, having your head looking through your, your man, um, you know, really starting if it's a long dodge starting with enough space that where you can, you know, attack the top foot, but do it with a, a, a sense of is he backpedaling or is he, planting his feet early and then understanding like you don't want to get locked up with a guy too soon. I mean, I think once you get locked up with a short stick and he gets hands on you, you know, a lot like in basketball, that double team becomes much easier to arrive. Uh, so that, those are just some of the keys that I would share with our listeners that I think are important to think about when controlling a dodge. Yeah, totally. It's, um, it's interesting. So you can kind of control in, in so many different ways. Um, a lot of times you look at a, a Trey Leclerc and these Canadians, they, they control so well when they catch in space and they start using their windup. How do you teach that? And how do you sort of look at that? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm it probably as entrenched in the, in, in the windup as, as I know you have over the years, I've, I've certainly always, you know, uh, respected that kind of that cue. I think it's, it's the catch loaded mentality of, you know, catching in, in a position where you can shoot it, you know, and make sure that's a threat. I think too often we catch and we go right to that like holster hip action versus, you know, being able to be an effective feeder. I mean, you think about your point man, I mean, Trey's a great point man because he catches that thing in a space where you don't know if he is truly shooting or feeding that ball to the back post. And that to me is a windup, you know, you're catching that thing deep loaded with the understanding of from this shooting position, I can fire that ball, at, you know, without changing my release point, you know, and just take, 40% off my shot and put it on somebody's helmet versus unload. And when he catches that ball, specifically Trey and that righty wing, you know, sometimes they'll catch it loaded and it's, it's a quick one. He'll catch load and then immediately go. As soon as that stick comes up for like a, we would call as a closeout, like a defense, when you see a shooter wind up, you know, you kind of go to that closeout position where your stick kind of goes up or you, or you make like a poking action to kind of, kind of get through the closeout. Well, as soon as that happens, that sets you up for, you know, a hard run through, you know, and one of Trey's go-to moves is, you know, the catch in that righty wing where he'll, he'll wind up, stick kind of, kind of breaks down and then he'll run right through that top hand for a sweep. And so if a guy sets up for the sweep, he can shoot it. If the guy sets up for the closeout, he can run through it. And if he gets too high on him, he's got the wind up to the underneath move. And, you know, I think in his case, you got to be able to threaten the outside. Your wind up doesn't do any good if you can't threaten it, you know, and a lot of times you can talk a guy into a bad approach by just, by just kind of showing it to him. Yeah. Um, a good a good discipline D is gonna is gonna call your bluff on that, uh, but I do think that catching it loaded, as you're saying, and, and being prepared to shoot before you just go right to your dodge is important. Otherwise, you're gonna get a lot of really good approaches just breaking down on you. You're gonna, you're gonna be defeated probably maybe more often than not than you should. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, obviously you can't you can wind up anywhere you want, but people don't have to respect you if you're not if you're not in shooting range. What what I'm sort of getting at with wind up and control that I noticed with Canadians though is that they hitch more than once. Even if they're going to shoot, they wind up, they hitch once, freeze, they freeze the goalie with their first hitch, and they oftentimes freeze 
the approach slightly. They'll alter the approach with that hitch. And really, they're just looking to shoot it around the guy. But they're hitching in order to, like, alter that approach one way or the other. You know, you watch it even at high levels. People cover up when they, when they see um, people coming at them, you know, or they – you know, or they jump into that, whatever they're trying to do, you know. But but the idea that I'm sort of talking about with this level of control has more to do with this concept of multiple hitches. And when you watch Canadian natives versus Americans, they will hitch a couple of times to set up their screenshots and to set up their face dodges and to set up their – when they get into space topside, they continue to hitch, right? Whereas what Americans have a tendency to do is wind up and either shoot it, wind up and hitch it, go, wind up and face dodge and it's not, there's no rhyme, there's no like right or wrong. It's just something that I notice. And the more I watch, the more I see them altering a goal and an approach and then shooting it after they hitch once or twice. Yeah. I think one of the moves that, 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 um, you know, Johnny Pearson, if you remember Johnny for us was really mm-hmm. good at this. Jackson Reed scored a goal in this in our last game. It's the catch in the wing, left handed state, for example, hitch start your sweep, hitch again, and then it's the two to three hard backpedal step to that yeah. low to low, low to high. I mean, yeah. Teach unbelievable at it. Um, and that's a combination of one or two hitches where you, you hitch, then you, you, know, you go hard to the middle, and then the slide at that point is determining whether or not the guy's beat enough to the middle of the field where he has to go to the top hand, which you don't really want to, but it's, it's probably adjusted the slide enough that when you now hitch back to the backpedal, you got enough space and enough goal now to shoot, and and a lot of times that can be a shot that you can hide with your front shoulder, and you see that goal scored more often than not. You got to have the right feet. You got to be light on your feet and be able to do it. That's a box play, and it it's an play. example of what you're saying using multiple hitches to kind of free your hands. For sure, and you know I've seen Trailer Clear uh, catch it on the wing in his windup, and then immediately look up and take a pass to the top righty shooter right before he gets right into it. And that's another example of a multiple pitch situation where he's integrating a pass fake into his windup to be able to like just freeze that defense that's trying to split an approach. Um, and it's just the, the nuances of that control that set up your pick passes that set up, you know, dragging, for example, is lined up and it's control not only of your man but of all the other players that are trying to split and when you start dragging a little bit and you open up oftentimes sets you up on that skip pass you know through the defense or to the back pipe stuff like that um but uh it's really interesting stuff and my my, my next question on control though is about post-ups and what your thoughts are on your ability to control your man um when you're actually just you know you've run out of space you know you can't just use at all times at a certain point in time there's there's nowhere to go but you're but you're in a dangerous spot and uh you're just your thoughts on control there um both to your man yeah i don't know i mean we don't i, don't, I would just say you, we probably don't stop our feet a lot when we dodge you know i'm gonna be more i think it's more favorable to have your feet underneath you than, than yep. not there are certainly guys i mean i think of a logan right off the top of my head you know, there's guys. We have a guy coming in this this year as a freshman who I think has that potential. I think it is a little bit per- personal specific uh, in terms of who who can post well versus others, and it doesn't even have to be your prototypical big guy versus small guy. I mean, Jack Jasinski actually was pretty good at posting up, and he was he was he was quick and little. Yeah, he was just so strong. He had such a, a, a great base. So I, I would just start by saying I I do think it's it's something that can be effective. It may not be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the the bounce and hesitation stuff, you know, you don't see John Greer Jr. doing a ton of that, you know, like um, he, does, he does it his way. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, what what, you, what your bag is. I think if for a certain guy, if he can get to a spot and still keep his feet light, you know, and not let his feet, I think that's the key with a good post up is can you get between a guy's gloves and preferably to the outside of one of those gloves or to the top side of one of those gloves, keep your feet light and use rocker hesitation in and out yeah. Uh, far enough with the cage where he's hands on you, you can see this slide. And again, that's, it goes back to the positive double team. A great double team is two people on you in a hard zone, stretched outside a hard zone and deliver a great pass. And if you can do that with, with speed, great. But a lot of times guys want to like run and make these long runs. Well, like teams will slide and recover by the time the ball's out of your stick. A post up allows you the ability to draw two, to a good to a threatening spot in the field and potentially deliver a good ball right out of it 
uh, which can put a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying too. Like, I don't necessarily think you have to stop, you know, stop your feet, but but you, but you can't just keep running because if you keep running, you're going to run into the next guy. And so all of a sudden you get to you look at like a, a Jack Teat, for example. He's not he's not like John Grant Jr. in, in his build. He's tough. But he can sit there and soak that physicality with his head up. And yeah, he's using you know rocker hesitations and you know, getting, you know, the threat of spinning underneath and the threat of getting top side and little rip moves and all that kind of stuff while his head's up. But it's just an interesting skill that, that, you know, um, it's, 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 like you said, it's hard to defend it, hard to slide to, especially if someone's head's up. Yeah. He's tough. We played Cornell. I mean, he's, you know, we, we, uh, I had coached against him this year and uh, obviously coached against him in the U19s. And just really admired his game. He's, you know, I think what goes understated with these points we're making here too is is just being strong with the ball, yeah. you know. And and you know, can you, you know, it's it's a, it's a unique player that has a shallow pocket that can put two hands on his stick, and you can put a guy on him, and it's just the ball just doesn't come out, you know. And I mean, can you get just absolutely ragged, whether it's a short stick or oh, and, and work in space and rocker and post and rocker and post and. I mean, Jesse King, I go back to, he was one of the great ones we had at being able to do this. And the ball just, he just never lost the ball. There's some guys you put into those spots and it's 50-50, whether a, a little lift or a butt end or a, a little contact, jars the ball loose. So, you know, for young players out there and coaches, you know, being able to work this type of a dodge and, and first and foremost, be able to create contact, take contact, soak contact, have your head up and never lose the ball. It's just like a post-up player with a dribble you can back a player down and have your head up and see the double team coming and maintain a dribble while backing a 200 pound person down that's a it's an amazing skill that that takes time but you have to be incredibly strong with the ball and that's a big piece and it's something we talk a lot about you know we were working towards minimizing our turnovers as the year is going on we were struggling a bit this year with our turnover ratio um but part of that was because of some of the things we were doing offensively and I think that, you know, you want to make sure that you don't, you don't, you know, tighten your guys too early in the year to where they're not, you know, they're afraid to make a mistake or they're gripping their stick too tight. But, you know, the hope would be that as the year goes on, um, you know, you're, you're making the same looks, you're playing at the same speed, the ball is moving as fast as it was, but yet your turnover ratio is going down each game. You know, you're seeing it go from 18 to 16 to somewhere in that 10 to 12 a game range. Um, you know, with hundreds of passes and, and hopefully a high shooting percentage. I mean, that's, that's the optimal. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, switching gears. Um, I want to talk a little bit about defense and approaches um, and how you address the ball when someone's dodging you. I feel like so often, you know, and I say this from my own experience of coaching, is that we work on our approaches at nauseum and we work on our stick out and how to get there. Um, and you think about lead pose, different ways of talking about it. Um, but in the end, a lot of times when you watch the best cover guys in the world, um, you know, you watch, you know, Matt Landis guarding, you know, Jordan Wolf. He, his stick is not out, okay? It's not at his hip either. But, but it's – I wanted to get your opinion on the nuances of approaches because I think basically similar to dodges, there's a lot of different approaches, and I wanted, I'm interested in hearing your opinion on that. Yeah, I had a really cool experience um, this year. You know, we were down in, in – um, we were down in Texas, and it was for the U19 spring premiere, and the U19 team played uh, kind of a all-star group one night, and then – um, we watched the team USA, you know, the top 40 players in the United States come out and practice. And then the next day, um, you know, we played Japan and then they had an inner squad scrimmage and played each other. And I was down there with, with Pat and Stim, our coaching staff, coach Ross, coach Resch, but I also had coach, you know, I had Ryan Tarafenko wants to get into coaching and Ryan was down there. And so Ryan and I were sitting next to each other and we were, we were right on the field I and mean, we were three yards off the field and we're watching team USA blue white scrimmage go toe to toe. And, you know, him and I are making eye contact with each other and we're looking and we're both just, we're studying exactly what you just said. Like I want to see the best of the best with, with very little framework going toe to toe. And, and what are the things they do that, that make them 
just that elite. Yeah. And 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 it's funny, you know, the first thing that really jumped out the page is the communication. I mean, the way they talk. I know that that doesn't necessarily yeah address the question of an approach, but you know, both Ryan and I looked at each other and said, "Wow, man, this you hear this a lot. You talk about it. This is this is special. We got to take this home with us." You know, these guys don't play together, and yet they are talking in a way from the goalie out that is nothing is being said that shouldn't be. It's very crisp. It's very clean. It's very clear, very concise, uh, and certainly very direct. Um, so that was takeaway number one. Number two, I think you nailed it. I mean, the efficiency of the steps. Like, um, we're watching some of these defensive guys, and they're 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, they're so light in their feet. And I think it was just the nuances of when the ball moves and the ball moves quickly, right? Especially at that level, how efficient they are with their in and out. I mean, the way they get in and out, in and out, you know, you talk about stance, you talk about, you know, doing these things, but then watching it done, like basically on steroids, you know, it's like, wow, these guys, there's no wasted step. There's not the shuffle step. There's not like the stand up and lollygag. It's, it's in stick in right feet in they, they, they do a quick little one two and then bam right back out you know and that's hundreds of hours of these drills that we, we you see in a footwork but then i think you know to your point of the differences and the nuances of the actual approach and how a you know you use a landis who is obviously one of the best in the world versus a tucker durkin um so many variances there it depends on who are you approaching is it a righty is it a lefty is it will manny is it marcus holman you know, is it is it Matt Rambo? You know, is it a guy that's going to try to run through your top hand? Is it a guy that's going to, you know, hit you and, and backpedal you? Uh, is it a quick dodge? Is it below goal line? Is it high wing? Is it in the middle of the field? And so I would just say is it, I think a lot of your nuances in terms of where your stick goes, how you place your stick, at least in our defense, I mean, we don't give a lot of uh, a lot of flexibility to say, hey, you can do it this way, you do it this way. Uh, we almost treat them like a pole versus, versus a short stick. Um, but I think that your approach in a lot of ways in terms of where that goes, where your helmet is placed, the shade you give, um, that's going to depend on the who and where. What, what shouldn't be compromised is how quickly you get out, how low you play, and how violent you are at point of contact with your fists and feet. Yes, I love that that uh, terminology you use of uh, point of con point of content and confrontational and violence. Um, when when you are um, you know if you're guarding a, a dog behind the net and you're are you are you backpedaling or moving laterally or both? Uh, you know, again, I would <laughs> Coach Cranes probably teaches this better than anybody. I, I think. Um, he was a, he was a sled dog himself at, at Penn State in his time. You know, we've, we've spent a lot of time on that. You know, and again, I'd like to give you one answer. I, I think the best, the best metaphor I can use is you think about like a cornerback and you look at cornerbacks for Ohio State football. And I'm fortunate you, you've been in, at Ohio State. I look right out in the field. I love watching those guys do their drills and their footwork. Their feet are unbelievable. You know, the footwork and in, in the, in the, in the agility. And so there's some young men that can really get out you know, kind of square their man and play that three to four yard cushion and match feet, like literally match feet and maybe give up a half step and be in the trail position. And then you got to determine whether you got to slide or not. There's other guys that are going to be, you know, a little bit more of like a give us five or six yard cushion backpedal, try to get one good chunk and then try to get a second chunk in the side. And they're, they're more chunky type guys where they're trying to get pieces of you. And if you think about a cornerback that plays, one yard off and it's just glued to you with no help versus a guy that's going to play five to six yards off you with a safety over the top, you know? And I think, so the, the, there's different coverages for different guys, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. a, a Tara Fanko is going to, going to address the ball just a bit differently than a Brandon Barker. They're both good D middies, you know, and, and we just support maybe guys a bit differently than we do. So uh, I think there is got to be some sort of a retreat step uh, when you, when you approach the ball, especially depending on how far you are from the cage. Yeah, but you, you want to be really careful teaching kids to just backpedal. I think that's a mistake uh, is getting guys on their heels or getting too too aggressive a backpedal. Again, even when you watch these corners and a wide receiver, and it's very similar, you don't see corners backpedaling eight, 10 yards. It's a three to four yard, and then it's typically, you know, they want to get their hands on them and get some sort of a bump um, before they get help. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, you, you, you're, you're backpedaling – 
you know, hoping they make their break a little bit early, right? So if they make their break early, then you're pretty much in good shape. If they keep coming at you while you're backpedaling, it makes it a little bit harder for you, in which case, you know, you probably change your coverage. If you're, you know, a DB, you might play more repressed coverage if they're just going to take advantage of your backpedal. But same thing with defense, you know, I mean, like a long pull that's farther from the net, they can backpedal, they can sort of throw their poke out there, get you to make the break and, you know, have lost nothing. Um, the reason why I was asking is the uh, – uh, versus the lateral is just because there are studies done in basketball um, and uh, where it's sort of like the hip turn versus the drop step and where people will say that the hip turn is quicker than the drop step. You're, even though it seems like it wouldn't be because you're kind of like jumping your feet, if you really watch the, the best defensive players in the NBA or the NFL or major college basketball, football, really drop stepping traditionally the way coaches and we all think you do where you, where you pivot on that step and drop step that's slower than actually jumping your hips and exploding off those uh, off those sort of loaded hips and so that was one of the reasons why i was wondering about that i love that yeah i love that i think you're right on the money there i think the hips when you're evaluating midfielders um especially two-way guys or guys that you want to play on that side of the midfield for some defense for you uh how light their feet are and, and their hips are like one and two you know for sure you know are they a ground ball guy can they get vertical can they clear the ball uh, but their hips is, is a huge piece. I mean, that's a note that we'll I'll always ask coming back on a mini. Talk to me about his hips. I mean, how does he open up laterally? Uh, I also think just a final point on that would be your goalie play. You know, I think depending on the type of goal that you have, you know, you're going to see defenses that have a perimeter. I like to use the word perimeter of sliding points of contact. You may have a, a perimeter where you're out and you want to get early touches and you want to go early. Um, early slides. I mean, we played a Bucknell this year. They, they're known for that, as you know, of, of, you know, trying to get an early point of contact and just go to everything, you know, versus maybe, you know, I know Denver over the years, Coach Tierney's done a really nice job defensively of, you know, softer points of contact where you feel like you're almost like running into the next guy, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think those are maybe two examples of two extremes. Um, a lot of it depends on your goalie and your defensive philosophy. And then the way you play defensive midfield, maybe, you know, certainly your strand. I, mean, I think about a Dominique Alexander and the way he plays. Mm-hmm. He, he's a guy that likes to sit back. I mean, he, he's going to play as close to the cage as possible. He doesn't want to get out 30, 40 yards and match feet with you. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to get, you know, kind of let you come to him and either drive you into a teammate or just kind of lock up with you, you know, 10, 12 yards from the cage. And so I think those are things that to, as you're, as you're kind of thinking about your defensive philosophy as a coach and you're building out your defense, do we have cover corners? Do we have guys that can do it? Do we have guys that we need to just kind of create funnels into slides? And, and what are the shots that we, we want our goalie to see? If your goalie sees sweeps really well and makes those saves, you, you open up the middle of the field a little bit more and you dare teams to get those. If you want just alley shots and low angle alleys, then you got to make your D middies more conscious of getting that, that helmet up field and forcing people down the side. You uh, transitioned into a topic I wanted to talk about anyways and make this the last one, and that's goalie play. Um, and then there's a lot of interesting things that I want to hear about, um, but I want to kind of start off with the theme of control. You know, because when you look at the best goalies in the world, um, you look at PLL goalies, um, a lot of times they are, they are taking control of the situation by, you know, like Dylan Ward stepping out um, or – you know, you look at Tim Troutner baiting um, and, you know, the positioning even where if a guy's on a righty alley dodge that you're not jumping over to the right quickly, you're actually hanging back a little bit and taking some control over where the, what that shooter sees and what they're going to do. And I was curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah. Again, we probably keep it you know, maybe more simple than some, you know, our, our philosophy is, is the development of that position really takes time. Um, you know, we, we have a great coach, coach Foster on staff. We spend a lot of time with our goalies. I think you have to be willing to dedicate time there, you know, to, to folks on here. And I know as a high school coach, you got to really think about with your staff, you know, how you allocate time, who does what is anybody coaching your specialties, whether it's your face-offs or goalie. Um, you may have somebody new, you may have a veteran guy. So again, it's, it's, it's allocating time to what you think is going to be your best return. You know, is, is it shooting? Is it passing? 
um, we allocate a lot of time to our goalie development, you know, and, and so there's 30 to 40 minutes every day on the practice plan where they're getting, they're on their own field, their own space, getting, getting trained. And, you know, I think as a result of that, there's a, there's a progression. Like I said, the turnover ratio, you know, as the year goes on, we, we want to see our goalie as the year goes on, obviously improve. And I think that in order to do that, there has to be, you know, a curriculum design with, with that in mind. And I think yeah. that the, the, what, what we, what we try to go with is just, you know, we want to see him have soft hands, you know, we want to see him make him ca- make, making catches versus saves. Uh, that 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 statistic we keep of one stops is huge, you know. So your ability to not only clear the ball successfully, which is a point of pride, but also can you make one stop, you know? And I think the saves are oftentimes misled. A guy's got 15 saves versus the goalie who had 10 saves. Well, the 10 saves were 10 clean saves. The 15, five of those went back to the offense, and three of them they scored on those possessions. So you take the 10 save effort over the 15. Uh, and that's where, where sometimes stats can be misleading. So I think we really prioritize a catch. You know, we'll hammer goalies when we're warming them up with a short stick and we're using a tennis ball. And it's it's like, hey, man, listen, I'm going to throw this right at your stick with really good tempo, but you need to catch every one of these. And really, again, just like our feeders, just like our, our offensive guys, working on them, moving moving to their spots, but making it, seeing the ball all the way in and really focusing on making the catch. Uh, that's a huge part for our goalies. I think the second piece, uh, fundamentally that we would probably prioritize outside of the, the hands is, you know, just the placement, you know, like whether you, are you a three spot guy, are you a five spot guy? A lot of that's going to depend on, you know, your, your, how w- wide your base is, how, how big you are. Um, we've moved a little bit more towards a three spot versus a five spot. Doc Schneider is someone I really respect. Um, talked to him a lot about that. And, you know, once you settle into where you want to be, whether it's flat, high, you know, again, that's philosophy. I, I'm a big believer in less is more, you know, is making sure that you're not jumpy. You know, you're getting your head over the ball every time. You're really allowing your helmet to guide you towards it. You know, you're not doing a lot of guesswork. And you're putting, you know, I like to say, you, you want to pass the tension back to the shooter. And I believe you want to make a shooter beat you. And I just think at the end of the day, um, you can steal one or two here or there, but if you play a team that's fundamentally really sound, it's going to put 75% of their shots, 70% of their shots on cage in quality spots overhand, and you're a guest guy or you're a bait guy, that can be problematic. You know, so we're going to assume that we're going to play against a really good shooting team. And then if we don't, I mean, that's gravy. And if we do, and your goalie's disciplined, you know, I, I, and we play the defense the way we think we're capable of, we're going to, we're going to hopefully put the tension back on the offensive group and say, Hey man, you're going to have to be this guy. And that, 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 once you get an offense feeling that way, that, that's, that to me is best case scenario. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and the, um, the comment on baiting is something that, you know, that's just, <laughs> that's, that might be strictly in, in, in crazy situations, but the idea of control though, you kind of, um, you kind of said that in the sense that you want to put the tension back on the offensive shooter. And part of that is your positioning. Part of that is that yep. you are, you're, you're, you know, and, and obviously part of that is your defense too. Um, but, um, but the idea of, of control, I just feel like, you know, to be able to like, you know, control is staying on the pipe. If you want to make somebody shoot the far side control is when they're starting to run down to an angle, um, you know, like that's Denver would shoot like a Jeremy Noble type of shot. Like, you know, how are you going to play that? Because if you, you know, yeah. If he's going underneath like that you know and you go down he's gonna like stick a leaner on you so maybe you're gonna say i'm gonna make that guy go five hole on me and I'm try to like get my feet on this thing or whatever but there's a little bit of element of that that i was sort of talking about yeah i would say that to that piece specifically i would say shot I mean, we do a lot of work tennis balls coming up the hash so if you're working your goalie on dodges that are like your attack dodge that starts below goal line you're kind of your classic turn the corner shot or you're up the hash shot, you know, so many goalies get warmed up with your classic warm-up that you can envision and they never see those shots. So like we build those into every warm-up, the up the hash shots. And I find that goalies often have their stick outside the pipe. Like if I'm a righty and, yeah. and, and, a, and, a, and a kid's coming up the hash right-handed, like they, their stick's not even the goal. Yeah. So it's like convincing a goalie that, hey, when you're in this position, like right now you're guarding something that doesn't even matter. And getting them to say, okay, if a guy runs up the hash and can beat you, near side hip 
Like we're going to take our hat off and say, Hey man, that's a heck of a shot. Like we just got to, we got to make him beat you there, which is really hard to do. We got to take a little wider step and we got to get our stick in the cage and prevent that getting skinny mentality. And I think that's a big one for for our guys. And that's like, once they get to that, we, we use that five yard threshold above goal line as like, once they get above the five yard threshold, that's when you want to think about depending on whether you're a five point or a three point, you know, maybe taking a lateral step and then and then taking the next piece. I think you play one side a little differently than you do the other based on what hand you are. Right. Um, so I think that's where you control a little bit. The second piece I would say is I have, a t- I, you know, ten- goalies have a tendency when they're young. Like when we get them, I, I think just a habit is if I shoot the ball overhand, high as I, hard as I can, high to high, they want to jump. Like, you know, the sticks here and you want to like go like this. And, and we work really hard. If your goalie's already six foot, and he's, his head's just under the post when he's in his athletic stance. There's really no, no reason to, like, jump at a save, you know. So we really want to be here or here, here or here, and in, in, in building them out of that habit of controlling their body. I mean, when you say control, it's controlling your habits of, like, not wanting to, like, come up, but, like, go here or here. And by doing that and breathing through it, again, the control, you become more patient. And then the final one would be, like, I think one of the hardest saves is, is those lefty wings or tricks. Like, I'll use T, for example. You brought him up. So you, you're playing Cornell, and you got a lefty wing shooter who can drop his hands and go low to low or low to high. I don't think a goalie can stay in his normal position with his stick up and make that low to low save. So if I put my stick down on my ankles and I stare you down from a 10 yards, I just don't think – again, there's probably some goalies out there. I've never played goalie. But my experience with teaching is it's really hard to get that low to low save if you don't make some sort of an adjustment in your stance. And I think when you see a stick down at someone's feet, the adjustment I would say is the stick just kind of comes down to about your hip. And again, you're going to make a kid come up and hit your near side low to high. That's the one you're kind of giving up to say, I can now get my stick down on a low to low. I can get it back up for that low to high stick side. And I'm giving myself a chance at both versus just saying, look, if you go low to low, Unless it hits my foot, it, it's yeah, a goal. So those are a couple examples of when yeah. we're working on specific types of shots. We'll, we'll slow it down and try to give our goalies the best chance possible for success. What about do, do you um, do you believe when somebody's got hands free on the wing? If Trey Leclerc's shooting on you, I kind of feel like if he sees net, <clears throat> you're not going to save it. Um, you know, you look at like Dylan Ward is a guy I used early <clears throat> in this conversation with an example of guy that steps out and cuts angle down and all of a sudden that you know I can tell you as a shooter if I see that I feel pretty good about it if I've got time to get this off and uh if all of a sudden I don't see net now I've got to get used to shooting where I I think there's going to be net if I can move this guy but but I'm not seeing much net curious I mean we've all thought about this a million times it's nothing new um but it's funny that you don't see it that much um in terms of like cutting, but you do at the pro level. You, know, you feel all guys. Yeah. Every time. I mean, you look at the best goalies, you look at the burn lores, you know, who's got a different style than say, um, you know, I'm trying to think who's, who's the lefty there that we, I really like the, the plays box and indoor blaze. Oh, yeah. I mean, just two different styles. Right. You know, yeah. um, but both do fundamentally some things similar that great, all elite goalies do. And I think when we, we, I'm watching film with a goalie and we're statting him out. Uh, the two things that we're going to really hammer him home on are where you where you set and where you square. And set is where you where you you know where you getting set, where you moving, where you in your athletic stance at the point of the release, and where you square. You know, and a lot of times you'll see goalies, and it's just I mean it's a tendency when something round that's hard is being shot at you is to get small or skinny or to like almost come inward. Mm-hmm. And it's a really really hard habit to break for for goalies. You know, or whenever they go low or they go at a certain spot, they have a tendency to crouch or come in. So breaking that habit of taking up as much cage as possible for as long as possible and, and staying in that spot while someone's unloading. And that's a lot of, and then you you go back to like Josh, for example, he was having the best year of his career uh, for us this year. He was up by 58, 59% when the season ended top 10 in the country and saves. Um, he had done yoga in the off season and worked really hard at his breathing. He had a high heart rate. You know, we wear the polar on our chest yeah. and he'd get in there and his heart would just start pounding, you know? And, and I think he worked really hard at just slowing down his breathing, controlling his breathing. So you talk about control. 
Yeah. It, it goes in a lot of different spaces as a goalie. And when you can control your breathing, control that, that angst right before the shot and breathe through it um, and have almost look like an effort. I mean, you see saves, like remember watching Blaze get warmed up when he was in Columbus and guys pregame shooting on him and when, wow, like he is literally just so relaxed in there. Amazing. And we added something to our pregame this year where before the game, I put Jackson Reed on the wing and Trey LeClaire on the other wing. And like two minutes before, right before the national anthem, we had Trey LeClaire and Jackson Reed shoot as hard as they could at our starter. Uh, four or five shots each. And, you know, you, you think with a the crowd there, that's probably the last thing you want to see right before a game is three or four, you know, hammers from Trey. But once we did it a few times and they got over it and you make a few of those catches before the game, I, I really think it helped, you know, that confidence of slowing their heart rate down. They've seen three or four blasts, you know, and all of a sudden you go into the game and it's like that first shot doesn't doesn't jump on you, you know, which can sometimes happen for a goal. And a lot of that's, a lot of that's, in my opinion can be can be mental too you know just getting them the confidence and the and the and the ability right from the get-go to see that first shot and have the confidence to go after it yeah well nick such interesting stuff i uh always have and probably always will love talking lacrosse with you man so thank you so much for coming on the show appreciate you coach absolutely all the best the philacrosophy podcast is brought to you by oxia time a cool watch company focused on university branded watches John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com.